How are you doing, Ryan? Um, yeah, pretty good. Cool. Um, yeah, the 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 vinyl world over here is um, definitely getting pretty solid. Um, one of the things we had last talked about was the the status of like pre-orders. Yeah. Yeah. So I had I just gotten two email notifications that uh, um, the Marvin Gaye "What's Going On" deluxe reissue mm, um, nice. that got that got delayed. Okay. <laughs> into 2022 jeez and then the, yeah uh and then the radiohead uh kid a amnesia deluxe package um that got delayed man <laughs> got sorry delayed to hear that well. sorry to hear that man because <laughs> i know you were looking forward uh, to that one dude yeah but you know it's like i i am i'm one of many so yeah yeah there's a lot of us out is, there yeah a, yeah I got a I got a pre order that I'm looking forward to. I actually um I usually I usually hate the box sets that come out. Um but Mr. Fella Kuti has a has a box set where they're doing uh, all of his discography essentially, like all of the big albums. Um Fella, if you don't know, is um out of uh, Nigeria, West Africa, um almost single handedly responsible for uh the genre Afrobeat and stuff like that. Uh, started out in the high life and all that good stuff he has a really cool little uh box set that's coming out i forget who's doing it uh, but i ordered mine through uh, turntable lab um so i'm really excited about that but the way it sounds uh, could be could be one of those things i have to wait it's supposed to be here in december but uh you know maybe maybe it's already done i don't know uh but you know pre-orders it is what it is really um, oh yeah yeah so Ryan, that. I'm really excited about tonight's show because uh, because we're talking about some documentaries around jazz, oh, yeah. and just uh, just some of the just catch it up. Honestly, of course, uh, I know that you know I had an update show recently. Just wanted your yeah. take on any of that stuff before we hop into it. Um, but yeah, anything you want to talk about from last episode? Yeah, I mean, um, and you're referencing the jazz standards. One, yeah, right? yeah, jazz standards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we'll talk I about mean, that. I am, I am a fan of the of the jazz standards. Um, in undergrad, um, you know, when you go through, um, kind of an undergraduate level, kind of jazz kind of education. Um, mm-hmm. So my jazz education in undergrad was was predominantly through. Um, vocal jazz because I okay. sang in the school's uh, vocal jazz group, and then our school had a very high quality instrumental jazz program. Um, and at some point in time in the middle of undergrad, um, I got really interested in pursuing jazz piano. Nice. Uh, so I took some uh, some instruction and in lessons, private instruction in jazz piano, jazz theory jazz improvisation kind of like a cocktail's worth of just like intro level jazz theory improv Mm -hmm. um just to kind of build up your chops and kind of get into it but you know those style of courses um you're focusing almost exclusively on standards Mm -hmm. um which i absolutely loved because um it's a really great way to yeah. learn about the nuts and bolts of jazz great place and what to it's start. all about great place to um, start. the chord progressions like melodic construction you're mm-hmm. beginning to learn how to um improvise and what that even 
looks and feels like. Um, you know, you're not going to be doing that on like a John Coltrane Love Supreme Jude. No, yeah, yeah, you, <laughs> you know can't, you I mean? can't do it. I don't you think you can to, do it with that. You know, you have to you, start. You, you have to. Yeah, you've got to start with with the good old fashioned jazz standards. Yeah. Um, so your episode definitely strike a really cool nerve uh within me because it's kind of it's like very nostalgic it's like oh yeah like you know anyone that for me you know anyone that's really into just like how like jazz works and what got jazz to be what it is um it really Preach. the jazz standards are really like the backbone of all of that stuff mm -hmm. yeah yeah, it, it's it's incredible. And so it's one of those things that I kind of, you know, with thinking about the concept of the show and everything, I, I kind of skipped over this amazing part that, you know, I, I've always had in the back of my head because that's where I started with jazz uh, was the standards. That was the first thing I could kind of wrap my head around. Right. And, and I suggest for for any of those who are starting in jazz and, and getting incorporated in that, whether it be through records or on your phone or whatever. I say start with the standards. Start go as far back as you as you mm -hmm. can because if you try to start with the free stuff, I think sometimes there can be a, yep. there, there's a taste, there's a palate that isn't quite reached, and and even yep. if you like it, there may be a lack of appreciation for it because you may not know where this stuff stems from, where it comes from. I've always said yeah. this. Uh, one of my favorite things about free jazz and 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 like the experimental avant garde stuff is how it started and how it how it came out of the the bop and in the the standard era of jazz kind of creating around that not discarding that but like taking a song like on green dolphin street or autumn leaves and creating around that and saying mm -hmm. this is going to be the skeleton of it but we're gonna we're just going to space it out a little bit we're going to make it our mm -hmm. own thing and that's how it started so if you like, you know, if you like the experimental stuff, if you like this free stuff, I think um, you, you owe everyone owes a great deal to to uh, the standards, the great standards. And so um, I asked Ryan, uh, Ryan texted me and he was like, man, like that was a great show. Like uh, I got to tell you about my my favorite jazz standard. And you and you told me your favorite jazz standard, which is. Uh, Autumn Leaves. Classic. Autumn classic, leaves. man. Yeah. Classic. Yeah. Like I said in my text message, that was, I mean, that was literally the first jazz piano tune, like my first lesson in undergrad, you know, I sat down and he had his book of standards mm -hmm. um, and he flipped to whatever page it was and right there, you know, autumn leaves and that whole entire song, you know, it's, it's basically in two keys. It's in the major key. It's in the minor key. 
and it's like six chords total. Mm. It's like just like beautifully simple. Um, what, what you call your standard two five one progression. Right. Now you're speaking. Five, one in now the you're speaking a foreign language to me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's it's just you know that kind of started the path where it's like, like how um, how you can achieve beauty in a very simple, straightforward manner. Yeah, and that's what I love about that autumn's Eve tune is that um, when you look at the nuts and bolts, it's really a simple tune. Really. Um, yeah. And but I think it's because of that simplicity that makes it really beautiful and classic and timeless. It's another one with that intro too, man. Uh, mm -hmm. Much like I, I mentioned, you know, with Time Out and, and you know Take Five um, last episode, it has that that emotional, just very recognizable intro, man. Where it's like, hey, I, I know mm -hmm. this song, even if you don't know it. You, you've heard it in a movie. You've heard it, and you know maybe you've heard it based off of your parents i know a lot of people whose parents used to you know play you know old french and old you know old english music and then that's one of those it's one of those standards man it comes it has a long history in music and it's just one of those one of those beautiful songs man so i definitely has to i definitely have to uh have to agree uh that's one of my favorites as well uh standards um there we could look up a, a great book of standards if you want but you know there's so many amazing <laughs> standards out there that you could you no know, you could take from um yeah like geez just so much good stuff out there um yeah man you know what what's interesting though i was i've been watching i've been on the on the documentary kick lately and this this episode and, and some episodes um coming up um i want to have some other people's perspectives on this too but um the the documentaries that i've been watching highlight gentlemen and, and women too, um, who have been extremely valuable and they all start with the standards. I'm talking about Miles Davis. There's a great documentary out about him, uh, Birth of the Cool. Uh, it does a it does an amazing job of going into the detail and the life and times of Miles Davis. I think they do an amazing job with the soundtrack, um, playing a lot of his amazing classic records. Um, even some that uh, I, toward the end, especially that I wasn't so familiar with, which was really cool. Um, and, and Lee Morgan, uh, the Lee Morgan documentary, which is also <laughs> equally as amazing. Um, both have really interesting stories, both being trumpet players um, and being trumpet players essentially at the same time, around the same time um, as each other. I think two total different routes. Um, and I don't know. I don't know. Like it's, uh, w have you gotten a chance to see any of those documentaries? Ryan? I haven't seen the Miles Davis one and it's been a while since I've seen the Lee Morgan one. I mean, the, me the interesting thing, the interesting element from the Lee Morgan one that strikes me is that it, it's primarily through the perspective of, mm -hmm. Would that would you consider her would you consider her his widow they weren't officially married were they i don't think so i mean i, I technically I, his I his, like, his but... extended his extended partner at the time yeah yeah you can say that <laughs> say that the one the <laughs> Helen, one I believe, that right? can, the one that actually shot him yeah shot at, him, yeah. Uh, yeah so so in, those in, who, in the club so those who don't know lee yeah. morgan met a, a tragic fate um being uh, shot and murdered uh while uh at a show that he was doing um 
and he was shot and murdered by his uh like like ryan said common law partner um i think that's uh, yeah exactly. yeah common law partner or something to that degree uh i think the documentary it's i i say i say things like it's one of the greatest i say stuff like that a lot but yeah this was a really good job of i yeah. think documenting uh even though it yes. does like you said take from the perspective i think more so of uh, the lady who is at the center yes. of this of this uh, of this issue, but it does an I think, amazing job. Yeah, I think that's actually one of its advantages is that is that it comes from a pretty authentic place. Yeah. It doesn't really hold um, it doesn't hold punches. Not at all. Um, Not at all. It, it talks about it talks about um, Lee at, at his. Now, I gotta I gotta confess something here because one of the things that kept me away from Lee Morgan for a long time musically. Was because I knew of his of his discography, and I know I knew of most of his work being from Blue Note. Uh, he has a, in my opinion, he had a very successful story, right? And then when I learned of his tragic fate, um, I started to look into him a little bit more, and then I learned that he, like a lot of other jazz musicians, dealt with that monkey, you know, dealt with that oh, issue, yeah. that that drug issue, and so. Yeah. I say that to say, you know, before I knew about Miles Davis's issues with that. And that's one of the things that made me very, very um, huge, a huge fan of his because I, I saw the, the strength uh, uh, that, it, that it took to, to defeat that monkey on his back and that monkey being uh, drug addiction. I didn't know that about Lee Morgan. And I, when I learned mm -hmm. that, I was like, wow, OK. And this guy went through that. He went through some really tough times as the documentary mm -hmm. outlines. And I had no clue about that because the way his work speaks for speaks for him, he doesn't. His music is, in my opinion, it, a lot of it is upbeat. A lot of it is very, uh, very good, amazing sounding music. And I feel like, and maybe I'm not well versed in his music enough, but I feel like with Lee Morgan, you didn't see a lot of pain in his music, right? It, the documentary did something really well too and and i love documentaries for this but it, it kind of chronicles his start with dealing with the drug issue um mm -hmm. and it does so by highlighting another musician who entered morgan's life the musician escapes my name or escapes my head right now for some strange reason although i do have a few of his records as well um i don't know why it escapes my head right now it's weird anyway um but it it, it starts with with him and this pianist uh and and it's going to come to me soon it's on the tip of my tongue but um him and this pianist kind of have a relationship this pianist is de dealing with a lot of a lot of drug issues already um and that kind of creates or starts him down that road um yeah man just really tragic story uh but it has a weirdly would you say bittersweet ryan or would you say silver lining at least like what, yeah, what uh, is the, what is I the end of the story like? the general it, for me it, it leans towards bittersweet yeah. um uh lee's story um there's almost a shakespearean quality to it in that there's this there's like this tragicness mm -hmm. because and this is even even beyond the you know the drug addiction which um i believe by you know he ended up spending some jail time yeah and then post jail um i think he had also cleared through his addiction mm -hmm. and then started to really get back 
on the music track 1963-1964 and then his work through the late 60s was progressively just getting bigger and bigger and bigger but the the tragic flaw I'm not sure if you would want to call it hubris like the way they would say in Shakespeare like you have this inherent flaw of mm -hmm. this overconfidence mm. of your success mm. kind of thing mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because Lee Morgan is always uh, at any age always sounded like a very confident player as as a trumpet player it needs to be mm. um but I, I you know the documentary definitely gave a spin of um you know he's got this 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 common law what partner, you know, partner yeah, yeah. that basically without her he most likely doesn't get himself back yeah. on two feet yeah which is that and yeah, it's a huge bit i thought that part. The documentary did a really good job of like showing that side. Yes, like she's actually being interviewed. Um, was she still in jail or was yeah. she just released? Or yeah, I can't recall if she was just released or not. But yeah, I, I feel like she might have been like she might have been just released right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I think that's where like the documentary she did a pretty good job. Like you. Uh, you kind of you feel for her yeah right? yeah and, and, and but you not feel no, for her no no go for it i was gonna say but not in a way that makes you f almost forgive right it's like it, it makes you feel for her but it's like man like that was that must have been a rough you 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 feel for the relationship you feel for their yes. situation right it's not like yes. that you feel for her, like for her doing the crime or doing this this heinous act it's like you get that and then it's like yeah dang that situation was just not it wasn't conducive like it, like it, yes yeah it just wasn't uh, i mean but it was because if it wasn't for, like you said if it wasn't for that relationship mm -hmm. I, I don't think we would have the lee morgan that we all know and love obviously um for me some of the highlights some of the funnier parts of the documentary and by the way um going back a little bit the the pianist that i was talking about was bobby timmons uh, that was a pianist who uh, who had some issues. I'm not going to put his issues on Morgan, but I know that they started with him meeting Bobby Timmons and how Bobby Timmons has this this already established drug addiction that kind of makes him less than great because he had a lot of potential as well, being one of the great pianists of his day. But of course, it was short lived due to uh, drugs. Um, however, uh some of the funnier stuff uh, some of the more i guess comical relief parts uh, i don't know if you caught uh her meeting the great prince of darkness miles davis and what miles davis <laughs> said to her <laughs> i thought that was absolutely like quintessential miles davis so apparently uh she yes. meets miles at this show she asked or miles talks to her and, and he asked her like you know who she was and she was you know they they Go, go on about friendly banter or whatever um and he says oh like you you're lee morgan's woman and he and then he of course concludes by by saying that uh <laughs> what did he say he said he doesn't um he doesn't talk to women he's not around the b word he says uh, that have big mouths, and so, so quintessential Miles Davis. I, I don't hang around, you know, b words who who have loud mouths, like, and then just walks off, you know. 
I can so see him saying that and just like just dipping, you know. Miles Davis was that guy. He did not he did not hold any punches and like uh I thought that was a really funny part. I also thought that um I also thought it was very powerful that uh, the documentary explores uh, elements of of Lee Morgan's blackness and how it does and how it does that through his music. Um, he felt challenged through his music to create music that black people accepted and, and, and enjoyed, mm-hmm. um, yeah. which, uh, as you pointed out a little bit earlier, that was something that I think was lost in some of the arrogance that he was perceived to have early mm-hmm. on in his career. Um, and so I, I thought, again, the documentary was 10 out of 10, in my opinion. I, I, I mean, oh, yeah. it helped me learn a lot about uh, a jazz great that I didn't previously know. Um, again, I kind of had this air of of thinking about Morgan as, as you know, this super happy-go-lucky, you know, had-it-all type of guy. And it wasn't really like that, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. He had, like everybody has, you know, he had those demons. He had those skeletons in his closet, and uh, mm-hmm. he dealt with them for, for all the way to, his, to, to the end of his life, essentially. Mm-hmm. Another going back to the Miles documentary, though, one of the things that I really liked about uh, the birth of the cool is, I mean, Miles is noted like he's not sort of like Morgan in that in the way that like he's almost like Kanye West. Right. Like he you know more about Miles Davis's personality and who he was off of the stage than you knew about his music. And you Mm kind of say that still, even though his music is miles ahead of, you know, of any of the, the, you know, garbage that we talk about when it comes to the Prince of Darkness. His personality was one that was well known that he didn't give a fuck. He didn't care. You know, he was he was all all truth all the time. And regardless of if anyone, you know, liked his truth around him. Uh, this this documentary though I think does an amazing job of showing his vulnerable side. I mean it was narrated. You got to check this out, Ryan, because it was narrated mm-hmm. in the sense of like they had this raspy voice like person sort of impersonating Miles, uh, which it, it doesn't a re- it does a really good job of like putting you in the seat of like oh this is Miles. This is you know like even though you know it's not Miles, it's like okay this is Miles telling his story. And it really gives you a sense of like showing you the vulnerable side, that side that we do not get to see with Miles, because we know Miles is being this arrogant, this pompous, but brilliant mind, right? And so this documentary does just tremendous job of showing you, yeah, he was that on stage. He had to wear the, the he had to wear sh- the shell, you know, he had to be a turtle. He had to, you know, have that thing that covered him up. But underneath all that, was a guy who just really loved to create, just really loved the art form, like, and and didn't hold punches. At the very beginning, it talks about how he was judged by, you know, his black peers at the time for wanting to go to school to learn about the music theory and that, and that side of music. And they thought that would take the, you know, that would take the soul out of his music, which, it, of course, it didn't. Um, and then, of course, he was looked down upon by his white peers because, you know, mm-hmm. thinking that he wasn't great. You know, this is a guy who goes to goes on to go to Juilliard and drop out because, you know, he's going uptown every every other <laughs> night to play with Bird and, you know, and Diz, you know. So, like, his story is just such a brilliant one, in my opinion. I've always I've always loved the Miles Davis. I, I consider myself somewhat of a Miles Davis scholar because I've read his autobiography and all of his interviews mm-hmm. and all yeah. of that good stuff. But 
it's just one of it, he's just one of those figures for me even though now I'm kind of more in the spiritual realm of, of the music and, and appreciating the music on more of a spiritual level, I can, I, Miles will always have a very special place in my heart because of the very fact that his personality just poured through the music, poured through everything he touched, uh, made him, made him a giant, made him a giant. And I mean, his music spoke for itself, but at the same time, he, he did not care uh, what you thought about his music? He made the music honestly for <laughs> himself or for whoever. Yeah. He he, he yeah. just loved to create, and that's why I compare him to Kanye because it's sort of the same. Uh, there's some other issues with Kanye, in my opinion, but uh, <laughs> but that's just my opinion. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, anything anything to take away from that? You gotta check it out, though. You gotta check that documentary yeah. out. No, um, um, the biggest Miles document. Uh, you know, I've read his autobiography. Mm -hmm. um that's a that's a pretty classic i mean yeah most of the stuff that i've gleaned about miles in terms of like his life and his personality his autobiography does a pretty um you know solid job of that i'm always weary of autobiographies um just because of the voice that it's coming from mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um and what they choose to you know miles is a pretty authentic person but i just think oh, with autobiographies sure. it can be it can be a difficult balance in terms of how much they want to truly reveal about no themselves. for sure um, for sure yes you know the one um one of the recent biographies i know we you know if we're taking our documentary episode and extending it to biographies oh yeah for the, sure um the dexter gordon biography mm. which was actually written by his his widow maxine gordon that is, is excellent nice that's nice. that is a really good one all right um, that's on the list because um I think she was actually this his second wife in his lifetime, mm. uh, but she would have she would be the long-standing wife that and her, his his widow when when he passed away. Um, but she had a, she has an interesting perspective in that they met because she was in the jazz business. Um, she was kind of like a not a secretary, but she was kind of like an A and R person. Mm. Okay, um, and I think. Uh, I'm not sure if she was partially through Blue Note or one of the other labels, um, but that's how they basically met. Mm. Uh, so then their relationship grew into where um, she was basically managing um, his career um, when Likely he was Morgan. in Europe. Yeah, yeah, and when he was doing that, um, but uh, very different relationship trajectory oh, oh for sure, <laughs> um, for sure by all, by all, yeah by all accounts <laughs> they they had a very long-term um consistent marriage mm. um, um but because the biography is written from her perspective she just offers just fantastic insight into like what it what it really meant to be a jazz musician behind the scenes mm -hmm. um you know, detailing his struggles in the 50s with um, jail and drug addiction mm. and kind of his renaissance in the 60s and his kind of renaissance in Europe and just um, how that all kind of continued. Um, but be I, I just, I, I like the voice that it comes from in that biography because it comes from her and she, she portrays a, with a pretty authentic voice in that in that biography that's which awesome. i thought was which i think is really cool. that's awesome i'm going to put that on the list for sure um one of the things that i noted while you were talking about that because again i didn't know that about even the the godfather dexter gordon 
But one, uh, I noticed too with another uh, documentary, uh, this one is kind of older, and it's uh, about Albert Eiler. And uh, mm. this documentary, uh, it explores the life and times of, of Albert Eiler. He goes over to Europe, of course, to kind of, you know, take his musicianship to the next level. And, you know, he finds all types of brilliant things over there. You know, he explores free jazz in a way that I think is very, very important to the genre of jazz in, in totality, uh, but definitely to the free and avant-garde scene, right? Um, but he, he comes back and, you know, he has a super tragic story. You know, he kills himself, essentially. And, and that's the that's the official story. But there's speculation all over all over the place with the Albert Eiler issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it just makes me think, man, like just like everybody else. All right. And, and I'm writing this show right now, so I don't want to get into too much detail with mm-hmm. it. But I do want to po- poke around at it because it's, it's something that I think. Uh, I, I want your opinion on, um, but it's also something that I just want to put out there. What is it about the artist? Because we all deal with stuff. We all deal with tragedy. We all deal with demons and, and skeletons and all that stuff. But what is it about art especially that brings that out of of the human in a sense mm-hmm. that like it just really, it, it, it's almost like we, not, I don't want to say enjoy, but uh, we we take some type of uh, weirdness in looking at these uh, these musicians and, and dealing sometimes overcoming and being heroes and I totally understand that I look at Miles Davis is that he he passes away he's of older age you know he battled and fought addiction and uh, all types of you know other ailments you know to to make music for damn near five decades. Uh, but then there are some other really tragic stories that don't end so happily, don't end so great, right? Um, and what is it about the artist? So I'm sorry that that's a super long question, typical question of me, I'm sorry. But what is it about the artist that <laughs> I would say not a, a, that attracts tragedy? Yeah, that's the best way I can phrase it. Yeah. Because it's like, um, there's just so many examples of it. Yeah, uh, I... Uh... Um, someone uh, in an undergrad uh, during school, um, and I couldn't even tell you the context that he said this. It could have just been, you know, being a music major um, and you're being surrounded by other music majors mm-hmm. and in jazz and classical music. And, you know, you're basically, you know, my undergraduate was basically, um, you know, you're surrounded by creators and artists and musicians and you know uh, uh someone once told me that he felt uh the greatest art comes from the greatest sadness mm. Mm. and that has been a quote that's um has really stuck with me for a very long time because i find a lot of truth in that mm. um in that you know the, some of the greatest pieces of art uh whether it be music or or visual art um i i think there's some there's some truth to that some of the greatest pieces of art have come from some some wells of deep sadness yeah um and i think there's just something about the artist's perspective um on the world and life that you know a lot of artists just seem to be very in tune with that 
um, that, uh, I guess that more sad perspective on humanity. And as an artist, you access that well more often than your common human. And then when you're accessing that well of sadness, more and more mm. and more and more and mm. more mm -hmm. to produce that helps you produce and create your art i think there can be some ramifications to that long term mm. Mm. for an artist and just like their their whether you want to call it their mental health or their well-being um whatever that is i think many artists access that well because it helps to give them perspective mm -hmm. and we obviously have plenty of documentation of artists that live um, healthy, positive yeah, yeah, lives, yeah, yeah. We, even we have though a lot of their that. music or their art might be kind of leaning towards very deep and spiritual and like just like that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. But I, I think I think there is something to be said that the artist mindset seems to be able to access some pretty tough areas of humanity that quote unquote normal humans. Don't, don't have really yeah. have access to don't have the capacity for it. yeah I, I would have to yeah. almost completely agree with that ryan for sure and i was just looking up one of your favorite guys chet because it, it, as you were talking it just yeah. made me think about chet <laughs> baker and his story super tough super sad story man yeah. and it's like yeah. you know i mean there's an album by him and i was trying to look it up but it's literally the saddest album i've ever heard in my life <laughs> and it's it i think it's the album that he that he tries to play after he gets beat up. Uh, there's a story about sure. him being beat up and him being not able to play kind of the same way. Um, and the story, this story that happens to him and, and him struggling to play, um, but he plays anyway and he releases this album. It's literally heartbreaking. Like if I listen to it now, I would, I would not be able because what I'm going through right now, I would not be able to function. So like, but it's it's really that tough of an album because that pain that that you see him struggling with that beauty that you see uh him able he being able to create in this in this moment of super just like you want to tell him to stop you want to tell him to go and just just <laughs> leave it alone but he's 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 creating he's creating his art he's he's doing what he's supposed to do um and so there's there's something to be said about that it's definitely true that that adage that you said there's definitely some truth to that, uh, where the pain does create some amazing art. Um, and that's not to say that, like, as like you said, there's, that's not to say that all art is pain, right? Uh, there's some beautiful stuff that's created from people who live happily, healthy, totally normal, whatever lives, you know, but there is something, uh, and, and I think that, I think it relates more to the everyday man because there there is a lot of stuff that knocks you around in life. There's a lot of stuff that knocks us around in life. Um, and we, I feel like, go unseen. And so with art, I feel like we relate to that because, some of us relate to that because it feels as if someone's addressing our own issue. You know what I mean? Like, and I think there's there's some beauty in that that shouldn't be overlooked. Mm -hmm. That shouldn't be something that's uh, that's shamed or or overlooked. You know, uh, because it's it's art, and and I'm a fan oh, yeah. of art in general, man. Oh, it's, yeah. it's all beautiful stuff. But I, I tend to lean on the side of 
if there's some there's some semblance of human or humanity being communicated I'm, I'm going to pick up on it and that's going to be my mm -hmm. that's going to be my art that i like because uh, it lets me know that these artists aren't perfect they they lead normal lives like everybody else they go through ups and downs and places um that like you said we couldn't even fathom and if we did have to go there we wouldn't be able to do the same thing that mm -hmm. they are able to do we would just you know shrivel up and die most of the time right but <laughs> they're able to go there come back and bring mm -hmm. us something nice to to look at or something nice to to listen to or something <laughs> nice to watch which is awesome so it's the beauty of art oh, yeah. man uh do you have some documentaries right that you wanted yeah, to suggest the, to um, me the well the one i wouldn't say recommend or suggest uh oh um if you had a friend that you could borrow this from I wouldn't necessarily want to spend your money on this one, okay. which is unfortunate because I'm such a Blue Note fan. Nice. And this, uh, what is this? I'm just trying to check the year. I think this was last year. Oh, okay. It's pretty recent. This is Blue Note uh, Records Beyond the Notes. Oh, man. Um, and I was really hyped up. This was 2019. And I was really hyped up for this because they, you know, they had gone through like a marketing blitz and i thought it had the potential to be something really special really great yeah and unfortunately it was not That's and tough. the issue with it the issue with it isn't like the presentation the issue isn't the presenters the issue that i find with this documentary is what they chose to focus on mm -hmm. and mm. the fact that what it focuses on i don't really felt i didn't really feel like it <coughs> excuse me didn't it didn't really reflect what blue note was about so mm -hmm. the too long didn't read version assessment of what i would say is this documentary really focuses on um it really tries to hype up the fact that um miles davis and john coltrane were involved with blue note mm -hmm. and okay. to a random stranger on the street watching this they would feel that like like they would associate Miles Davis and John Coltrane with Blue Note. When mm. most jazz mm. listeners would know, no, yeah. we yeah. don't really associate yeah. them with Blue no, Note. No, not at all. Neither uh, Blue one. Note, yeah. Blue Note was a tiny speck mm -hmm. in their universal path yeah, tiny, before tiny. they would go on to do. But Blue Note really tries to, they, they try to capitalize. That's and tough. I think that's from like a mark. I think that's from a marketing perspective because the names you like, think. Oh yeah, we can yeah. we can grab people to watch this if we, if we can David. find a way to talk about Miles and John Coltrane that sucks. and the and the year, not even the year, the one session. The one session. <laughs> yeah, that's, in, that's by sucks. by devoting so much of that time, you know that means in the hour and a half you miss. they had to skip out on a lot of people yeah. um there's very little discussion in this documentary about their 60s um hard bop phase which i don't even was, was yeah prime that's they should that <laughs> should have been all they focused on that's when yeah. blue note like that's they dominated yeah that, that era um there is some great stuff from like Herbie Hancock and Wayne Shorter, okay. obviously. Cool, cool. Um, but a lot of the stuff that they contribute is more connected to. Um, the other thing that this documentary does is it really emphasizes 
the jazz hip hop connection. That's beautiful. That yeah. blue note. That blue note legitimately is responsible at the forefront. Yep. Yep. Of that stuff. Super. Super important. Um, but they they spend a lot of time on that theme. Okay. And I guess my own personal issue is like, I came to Blue Note primarily through the '60s hard bop phase, mm-hmm. and artists like you know like Lee Morgan, like Joe Henderson, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. like McCoy Tyner, you know, those were the guys that really got me into Blue Note. And for the documentary, not to really talk about those guys boo. <laughs> yeah boo. that sucks because um, you would expect i mean i'm sure they're they're if they aren't working on one they they have a documentary out there that does talk about their amazing artists they had some of the yes. best artists like you said of yes. that hard bop era they had them all and and i got into blue note via grant green so very yes, similar to I you know. like most I of know. grant green stuff is yeah. on that label it's they're not you know, Grant Green, I don't think there was another musician that had more sessions on Blue Note in the 60s yeah, than Grant yeah. Green. Yeah, why not talk about no, and why not talk about him? He's not yeah. He's not mentioned. That's crazy. Um it spends a lot of time on Nora Jones. Oh, that's cool. Um, I like her. Which <laughs> I like I which like yes. Um and it does a really good job of like like historically breaking down that jazz and blue note was was in a pretty tough bind Hmm. in the like 80s and like early 90s like a lot of just jazz music in general was like it was you know it's all that smooth stuff yeah yeah i don't want to use the word extinct but like (laughs) people just weren't people just weren't consuming the product it went went super underground yeah the documentary does a good job of like you know nora was kind of like their ticket out of the Mm. red and back into the green financially um and i think that's very well deserving uh she's very well deserving of that recognition indeed and then from Nora jones it does the hip-hop connection it talks about like artists like robert glasper and Mm -hmm. and his stuff Mm -hmm. and um and then it kind of finishes off on like the modern stuff uh that they're that they're currently doing Mm. and then it's about an hour and a half total which seemed really short. Yeah, that's super short. Not even an hour and a half runtime yeah. of about 111 minutes. Yeah, that's that's too so, short. So when you when after you watch this, basically, you think um, Miles Davis, John Coltrane, um, Nora Jones, and just like the hip hop sampling connection world. Mm-hmm. Those are the four takeaways that you get of Blue Note as a label. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really doing Blue Note a disservice. No, the label. I, I would agree. I would agree because they, they have so much to be proud of that that label. Um, it's weird because when you think about it, it's one of those really interesting pieces of jazz history when you think about it. And I think Miles talks about it in his autobiography. I, I think Coltrane may have said some things about it or maybe he didn't, but so Blue Note is the quintessential jazz label, right? Especially when we're talking about uh, like what I like to call mainstream jazz. It's quintessential. It's literally the, it's the it. It's the major, la- it, 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 it's the Columbia, it's whatever. And, and it started from humble, very humble beginnings, right? It started from being, uh, you know, just a, a nothing label and it grew into being the biggest thing in jazz. However, you got two heavyweights, some would say even the two biggest acts in jazz history, um, 
I, I don't know if I would agree because you got you got to go far back, right? Like I said it last mm-hmm. episode where when you say jazz, some people go directly to like Louis Armstrong. And that's and that's that's powerful for today because Louis Armstrong was making music in the 20s. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. that's that's literally like almost 100 years ago now. That's 100 years mm-hmm. ago now. And so if if you say the name jazz and you're still thinking of this guy, he's still the he's still the heavyweight. But anyway, I'm not going to get sidetracked off my point. And my point being two of the biggest names in jazz of that day, one signed to Columbia, one signed to Impulse. Mm-hmm. And really, that's where they make the bulk of their music is those two labels. Uh, they they flirt and they tinker with other sessions, of course, but that's where they essentially stay. Um, and and I, I always had that question, like, why was that? Like, why didn't Miles Davis do more sessions with Blue Note? Why didn't John Coltrane do oh, more sessions with I, Blue Note? I mean, I'm not sure if you got this with your research of Miles, but the strong sense that I got from his autobiography, and Miles is very transparent about this, um, Columbia basically mm-hmm. paid him more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I was gonna say. <laughs> I think it's yeah, what that, it all that's exactly what it came was. down to. That's exactly what it was. And yeah. then, and I've read other um, autobiographies and biographies. Um, the Herbie Hancock one is very telling because he has some anecdotes about Miles. But I think, like in the Herbie Hancock autobiography that was released recently, mm-hmm. like he had mentions like of all the jazz musicians he knew, like. Miles was the only one that was like driving fast cars. Like he was driving yeah, like yeah. Corvettes and Lamborghinis. Yeah, yeah. He was and just driving through driving through New York City <laughs> at a hundred plus miles per hour with with multiple girls in the backseat yeah. and yeah, the, you know. the million dollar brownstone, you know, you know, yes. back when a million dollars yes. was actually a million dollars, you know. <laughs> and then and I'm pretty sure if Miles would tell you to like, you know, I have the choice of making pennies on blue note which was essentially in for me um blue note was essentially the indie cult yeah. underground yeah. label in the jazz for world. the big chunk of and its time yeah. columbia was the actual like label that had like a real studio it was the and, crossover label and yeah mouse talked yes. about that in his autobiography he talked about how yeah like i i wanted i wanted money i wanted more money <laughs> Like, yes, <laughs> that's exactly what I wanted was that. Um, and, and it's and it's definitely interesting because that relationship was exactly how you said, like, Blue Note was seen as the uh, the indie label. This is where you're going to groom. If you know anything about the music industry, there are a lot of these little labels that essentially grooms uh, the, the movie that you should watch if you want to kind of learn what what I'm saying here is Ray. Ray talks about this very well there's a big part of that movie ray mm-hmm. where he's talking with the executives of his label his smaller label uh i can't remember if it was columbia or not but i think it was like it was it was a smaller label it wasn't columbia but it was a smaller label and um he's talking to them about you know a, a bigger deal and essentially like more money and these labels couldn't really afford that at the time okay. or, and if they could afford that you know they had to put it all in one in, in one one or two buckets and and usually that was for labels that diversified meaning that they had mm-hmm. a little bit of soul a little bit of rock a little bit of mm-hmm. jazz they didn't just have in specialized like blue note specialized in jazz that was all they really did they didn't really do mm-hmm. anything else um, so yeah, I could totally see Miles saying, you know, I'm not, I'm not, 
I don't care about legacy right there. I'm going for the gusto, you know. <laughs> so, so yeah, I, de- I definitely get it. But um, but it would have been very interesting to see uh, some more Miles Miles Blue Note stuff. I think I've always I've always wanted more Miles Blue Note stuff for sure. Mm-hmm. What about Coltrane? Coltrane, the the leg the legendary. I feel like with Coltrane it may have been different. I feel like there wasn't there definitely wasn't a creative issue um i think impulse you know allowed him to oh, do yeah. whatever he impulse wanted to gave do. him from the best of my knowledge and um i like in the world of coltrane scholarship uh i am very much a virgin yeah i got a guy though his name is leon and yeah. he is he's gonna be on the show <laughs> you're gonna join us for that show i'll, I'll have you yeah. join us but he is he's yeah. literally he's he's a Coltrane guy. Like uh, Leon, if you're listening yeah. to this episode, I'm sorry to put yeah. you on blast, but yeah, he he is he he knows the ins and outs of Coltrane. Yeah. Um, but like what little I know was that um you know, Impulse essentially gave him uh, an open door to basically create and produce like whatever he wanted. Whoa. Um, Whoa. From what I gather, Coltrane had very, um, very few, if any, restrictions or limitations um, to sense. his art um, that he could create or produce. And rightfully so. Yeah, makes sense. Um, he had, Jeez. you know, he had earned that right to basically say, like, to basically go into the studio and be able to produce whatever he wanted. Create at will. Create it well, mm-hmm. man. That's yeah. that's the dream right there, honestly. And so, I mean, you have two total different, and and people, you know, people are, like to argue and pit kind of these two against each other. And and I hate I hate the discussion because, at the end of the day, um, I be, I truly believe that they were they did love each other as friends, mm-hmm. uh, John Coltrane and Miles Davis. But you have a lot of people in the community who do like to say that Miles stifled Coltrane and. You know, he 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 didn't allow him to grow and he kind of took credit where he didn't or where he shouldn't have taken credit. But as the Miles going back to the documentary, that Birth of the Cool, as the Miles documentary highlights. When Miles puts together this, what we call his great quintet and his second great quintet, um, when he puts together these groups, they're all no names. No, John Coltrane to us now, obviously, yes, he is a god. He's a saint, patron saint. But Miles puts together these groups, and you can argue the point of whether John's going to get to the point where he's going to get to anyway. You can say he's going to get to that point. He are, he's already going through certain jazz schools already. You know, he he play, he's playing with Red Garland. He's playing with other jazz heavyweights at, at, when, when he first starts out. So, yes, of course, he has that potential. But with every with all potential, it does take that person that's that can kind of see the vision, right? That can kind of see, oh, like this guy, this guy is legit the best saxophone player we have right now. I want him in my group. I want him on this record. And that's all that's the that's the baseline of my argument. I, I can't say any more than that. I can't go into like, oh yeah, if it wasn't for Miles, Coltrane would be a no name. I can't say that. I can't say that. Yeah. But I can say that all of them being Herbie, John Coltrane, um, you could look, Ron Carter, all of these guys who played with Miles in some capacity, whether it be in one of the great quintets or in some other group, they were they're all names. They're all household names now. 
And I'm not mm-hmm. saying it's because of Miles, but I'm not saying it's not because of Miles either. You get what I'm oh, saying? Yeah. So, oh, so, yeah. but you have people in our community who will say, yeah, Miles took credit for too many people or too many things, and he was just a big mouth. And I get that. I get how that arrogance can make one seem like, yeah. yo, fuck this guy. But, yes. yeah, fuck this guy, but also, like, yeah, this yeah. guy's kind of cool, too. Well, you <laughs> you know, know what I mean? Like, I don't what know. I would, what I would, if for those individuals... I would try to hip them to the Herbie Hancock autobiography mm. that was released recently. Because um, when Herbie when Herbie talks about Miles working with him, um, he has nothing but positive, glowing things yeah. to say about Miles as the leader and as the musician. Yeah, and you know, I would say Herbie Hancock's perception of Miles as the leader leans more towards that no miles a big part of miles's talent was his leadership ability and his communication ability and his ability to form these these groups where you would think miles would be this very uh hyper anal retentive domineering personality Mm -hmm. but actually according to herbie hancock he was not he was very open he was very free he allowed his, especially with the second great quintet mm-hmm. with Herbie and Ron Carter and Tony Williams and Wayne Shorter, yeah, yeah. he was very um, uh, of sharing of the spotlight mm-hmm. and sharing of the compositional and the creative input. Um, and didn't believe so, in mistakes either. Did not believe in mistakes. Yes. He, if, and I, I recall. It's, it's, well, it's very easy not to believe in mistakes when you're playing with Herbie Hancock, Tony Williams, and that, that, is very, that is very true. But that story, yes. I, I know some of the stories <laughs> that you're talking about and, uh, and, and I, and I watch us so many, I watch so many Herbie Hancock interviews and of course the classic story of, of Herbie, uh, first meeting miles. I don't know if oh. you know that story, but that's one of the best jazz stories of all time. I feel like where he goes to, he goes to his house, well, first it starts, and you gotta listen to it. You, if I find it on the net, I'll, I'll I have to add it to this episode and and add fair use to it, of course, or fair use clause or whatever, because it's just such a cool story to hear him impersonate Miles and be like, you know, he called me up and he was like, "Hey, you want to play on this date?" And he's like, "Sure." Like, he's like, "All right, so meet at my house at this time." And he, you know, he hangs up. He doesn't give him the address. He doesn't give him any information. He's just like, "Hey, meet me at my house." And, you're gonna rehearse for me uh he of course shows up finds finds the address and everything shows up he plays he talks about how kind of like what you just said he talks about how miles is like attentive but not as hands-on as people think he was like there and then he wasn't he would he would play a few notes and then he would leave he would go upstairs or whatever and then of course you know he came back down and he was like yeah, yeah, you you're on a date. You're playing. You're playing with this group. Like you're a part of the group now. <laughs> and he was like, "What? Like, but you know, we barely played. Like, like you barely talked to me. You didn't say anything. Like, yeah. I'm a part of the group." And he's like, "Yeah, you're a part of the group." So, I, I definitely know. I definitely know that uh, that that's a that was a part of Miles. Um, again, that documentary I think kind of highlights that as well, where it's it, yeah. it does talk about some of the softer things in Miles that that fans and enemies sort of like to um to forget about you know yes his autobiography is very slanted i even noted that 
most autobiographies are when you know you get that perspective yeah. where it's like hey yeah like i mean uh, just think about quincy jones for example right like how he's mm-hmm. he, you know his he i don't think he has an autobiography out but you know he's running around doing these interviews and he's talking about how you know he's essentially kind of giving himself credit for a lot of stuff and quincy jones is super responsible for a lot of shit but everybody embellishes a little bit right everybody kind of mm-hmm. oh like yeah you know i you know, if it wasn't for me you know michael jackson wouldn't have been you know <laughs> he wouldn't have been a superstar you know if it wasn't for me john coltrane wouldn't have been as big as he was like you can say things like that but like i mean we 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 kind of read between the lines on that and I, at least i do and so i don't mm-hmm. I, I never oh, looked yeah. at miles and was like and looked at him and was like yo john coltrane it, it, if it wasn't for Miles, John Coltrane wouldn't exist. I, I know John Coltrane was a beast and he would have become the spiritual God oh, leader yeah. of the saxophone that we know him as now if it wasn't for Miles Davis. I know he would he would have still been a, a God. I know that. But uh, you can't take, and I think we, we pick and choose how we do this, but you can't take, um, there's a certain art and skill about leadership like you said like there's a certain level of uh there's a certain level of art or artistic value that you have to give a person um when they're able to find talent um whether they whether the talent is already there or what but like assemble this talent and have them play and have them make amazing music i don't give a fuck what you say about miles davis and his arrogance those quintets that he put together um single-handedly i mean changed music in my opinion uh his ability to to be forward looking all the time and and not you know stop at like just making amazing soft ballad like music with the cool jazz but Mm -hmm. like saying oh i did cool jazz okay now i'm gonna i think i'm gonna do fusion you know i think i want to i think i want to i think i want to rock jazz mix you know and and some Mm -hmm. of the projects that he was supposed to have things like work with Jimi hendrix and work with Prince. Um, I would have loved to see that, of course. Um, mm-hmm. But of course, I don't know if it's lost in a vault or if it never yeah. came to pass or what. But yeah, I mean, I've always, those kind of comments have always taken with a grain of salt. And I guess when you actually, whether it's um, you've listened to interviews of people that have actually played with Miles mm-hmm. and been in his groups. Or you've read their biographies, like the Herbie Hancock biography. Um, more, more, I would say, ninety-five percent of the stuff they say about Miles is pretty positive. Yeah. In terms of their actual playing experience with him and his leadership. Um, so, so the, I don't, I don't, I, I try not to get too hung up on the fans because i get hung up on the fans i I get hung up on when i see comments from or or not even comments but when i see videos of of critics in the jazz community who say things like miles was just an arrogant prick because it's like okay cool yeah he was arrogant but like all artists have have a bit of arrogance john coltrane himself even though he you know is super spiritual and we think of him as being the symbol of humbleness right humble pie if that was ever a thing you have I, I to be arrogant just to create. You have to. When, for me, when looking, when I don't want to say evaluating, because that's kind of clinical, but when really kind of trying to make an assessment or a judgment on like an artist's work, mm-hmm. I think there has to be some compartmentalization of like who they, like the musician and the music mm-hmm. and the person. Like you kind of, 
you have to try to separate sometimes those things. Yes. Right. Yes. Like we, uh, the the kind of person that Miles was, his personality, um, that's very well documented. Mm -hmm. like, too well. Me, too well documented. Yeah. For me, there there really is, in the year two thousand twenty one, there really isn't too much value in dissecting his personality and who he was a person and how mm -hmm. he might not mm -hmm. have been the best person in the world. You know, the, one of the, the, one of the ways I think about this is that like being a Chicago kid, like we, we all are Michael Jordan fans. In the yeah, Chicago yeah. <laughs> area, right. Um, you know, in 2021, we have enough information to know that, you know, what, Michael Jordan most likely wasn't like the nicest person. He was world. a dick. <laughs> yes. But you know what? Like, what he did for the whole entire league, mm -hmm. what he did for the Chicago community, the yep. Chicago land area. Like you have to be able to look at someone and kind of compartmentalize like different aspects. Of yeah. Him. So like w when I when I think about Miles, I think about the records that I own of his mm -hmm. and the beautiful music that I have. Um, and I know about the personal stuff, but I also know that the people that played with him for the most part, really enjoyed playing Beautiful, with him yeah. and making music yeah. with him. Yeah. So I, I I don't know what else you want from him and his legacy in the year 2021. Yeah. Basically yeah. Kind of. Yeah. I just, I think it's an air of stick it to it, stick it to, to itness, you know, like it's just like one of those things where I feel like, um, some critics are are really big fans of just making sure that like they they stick it to somebody you know yeah. it, it's it's easier to do that sometimes than it is to like you know praise a guy and his art um I, I think overall we have a real hard time with separating art from the artist um i'm not going to even go into that category but i, I really believe mm -hmm. humans we do have a hard time with that because a lot of times we tie in our uh, our personal beliefs and yeah. feelings about a yeah. person um into what they create yeah. and you know and i think we're getting more and more interwoven with that now especially nowadays and, and there's some good in that there's some value in that right because you, that means you can't yeah. just be a dick all the time right like and, and that's yes. cool okay great yes. you can't just be a bad person <laughs> right awesome yeah. like no like your artistry shouldn't excuse you on the way that you treat people yeah yes at all i definitely all. can yeah at all but we can't we can't go back i don't think it's fair to go back in history back in yeah, yeah and be like yes we can't yeah we have to erase legacies of, of these amazing Correct. giants because Correct. they were arrogant or they were yeah. full of themselves or yeah you know whatever i mean and like i've thought about this as just like as a music teacher like if i would choose not to talk about any styles of music or musicians that weren't the best of people um there's very few musicians that are left <laughs> yeah what i mean yeah like you almost have to acknowledge that in just basic like music like history like a lot of these guys and gals they they, they just they lived very Let's just call it complex lives. Yeah, you can call it that. <laughs> yep, yep, for sure, for sure, man. And and I mean that's really that's really what it comes down to. And so like I think respecting all of the the art that these uh, men and women create um, is very essential. Uh, and if you can, 
I think you should definitely subtract uh, the, you know, the, the personalities, the issues, whatever from yeah. from said artists because uh, you know yes. art art artists are weird people i know this from knowing too many artists to, to count yeah. and and they are very strange people they're not yeah. they're not always the most atypical or or a or yeah. personality or what is it um type a personality right yeah for sure um and then yeah. i guess to take this and kind of connect it full circle to the idea of like documentaries and like biographies mm -hmm. of musicians and artists I do feel like the best documentaries and the best biographies are able to authentically capture those complexities. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They're able to talk about Lee Morgan and his artistry, but also show you that, you know, like he, you know, the, the woman that was very much responsible for bringing him back, um, essentially from the dead, Mm -hmm. you know he he did not treat her very well yeah would be a yeah. very light way of saying yeah. that and yeah that's why i think that documentary succeeds is that it it portrays lee morgan the good and the bad and the dark and the light and yeah. the beauty and the sadness it, it it doesn't filter any of that um love it the blue note documentary does a bad job <laughs> because it tries to, it tries it's it's it tries to it doesn't it it just it's not authentic yeah it, uh, the blue note documentary this blue note records beyond the notes i, I i'm sorry for calling you guys out uh, but um it, it's not authentic in that sense ryan it doesn't highlights oh sorry go for it it highlights those things that it thinks people want to hear mm. and it highlights only those things that it feels will either sell or market blue note in a positive light not cool and I think when you do that, I think people can can read through that BS very easily. Yeah, I agree. I agree. But Ryan doesn't want us to get sponsors. He doesn't want to. <laughs> he doesn't. He doesn't want us to get sponsors. He always brings it. I love it though. I love it, Ryan. You always bring that honesty, bro. Because um, yeah, instead of just singing its praises, I think it's important to to be super critical of it. And uh, like I said, again, like with a label like Blue Note, how could you how could you how could you want to only focus on two men who didn't, you know, who, who yeah. weren't a part of your label? That just yeah. seems that just seems a little cheap to me, but I don't know. Yeah. Uh, so I'm not going to check that it's, out, Ryan. I'm not going to check it yeah. out. And uh, yeah. yeah, they have themselves to blame. Uh, but yeah, man, I thought I think this is a great show talking about some of these documentaries. Uh, I highly recommend people check out. Uh, they, I called him Morgan. Mm -hmm. That's the Lee Morgan documentary we've been talking about here. Um, I also highly recommend uh, Birth of the Cool. I think that came mm -hmm. out in 2018 or 2017, yeah. I think, is something like that. But uh, both of these yeah, documentaries. I want to say, and those should still be, um, the last time I checked, the Morgan doc was still streamable on Netflix. Yep. Netflix, both are on Netflix. Um, both are on Netflix. Yeah, Netflix. and of course, some honorable mentions. Um, who was who is Miss Nina Simone? Of course, uh, I watched that one. I like yes. that one. Nina Simone's. Anything, I watched that one too. It's, yeah, it was really was, good. That was fantastic. It was really good. And again, it was fantastic because Nina Simone was an extremely complex person. Yep. Yep. Uh, with tons of just layers to her career, and the documentary did. An amazing job just 
presenting all of those layers and yeah. those nuance and those complexities and just letting the viewer make their own assessment and interpretations the best of who best she is and do. her yeah it's the best thing you do best thing you can do and uh, i I love the history part of that documentary i think it they they do an amazing job of showing how she starts out sort of you know really struggling with wanting to be the wanting to play that piano and and not really you know yeah you know mississippi goddamn yeah yeah man (laughs) mississippi goddamn. you know nina simone incredible man we could have (laughs) we could have a whole episode on her maybe we'll do that oh yeah um but yeah. yeah yeah man this was a great episode. You got any uh, records you want to highlight? Anything crazy you got going um, on? I got one. <laughs> I'm going yeah. to go grab it. Um, so we've got the Christmas season. Oh, oh, <laughs> oh. Brown yeah, Christmas. we're going to talk about that. Yeah, yeah. Vince we're going to talk about Garaldi that. Trio. Yes, sir. Now, oh, this cool. is quintessential holiday music. <laughs> if you, if you I, do not. I am such a sucker. Yeah, me too. Or me too. The holiday Christmas stuff. Oh my god! And that that dude, that Garaldi bro, that is, it's it's not the holiday season if I don't hear that. Like it's it's really not. So like that's a perfect record for the holiday season. Go grab I that. Know. I actually got to give me a copy of that too. Actually, <laughs> I'm gonna yeah. do that. Um. So hold uh, up. Wait for a second. Uh, that looked like the the Garaldi record. That looked like it was a special edition. Was that special edition? Was. Oh, okay. Yeah. This is um so craft recordings reissue. Nice. Um, it's uh it's like a in a limited silver foil and embossed jacket. Whew. Um. So yeah. Nice. nice. Sorry um, about that. Just yeah. No. Uh. This is uh, Chet Baker. This is from Sam Records. Nice. Sam Records reissue. Uh, Chet. Um, a big part of his discography is very European based. Yep. Uh, so Sam Records is a reissue label out in I think France that um, does really quality work. Um, master tape, analog master tape, nice. um, cut, um, you know, at a really fancy pressing plant in Germany. Optimal, um, original photos, original artwork, high quality setup. I've got uh, another one of Chet Baker's on these Sam Records. Nice. Um, nice. Thing. This I think you'll really. About this is Billy Harper, uh, the Billy Harper yes. Quintet. What? Um, and and Teebs 75, never before released Billy Harper live recording, mastered from the original analog master tapes from that show. Uh, that's limited fucking, edition. That's um, fucking sweet. Pressed by, pressed by Palace. Um, so when I saw this, I was like, I that's know, a must grab. Yeah. Know, <laughs> that's a must grab right there i've been looking for that one too that's a classic bro okay. and then last one i promise um so the <laughs> uh the verve acoustic sounds reissue series nice um uh, you know they're kind of verve impulse that whole stuff this is mingus 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 beautiful beautiful speaking of mingus there's a great it's lesser known but there's a great documentary out there about uh, that features mingus uh it's less of a documentary and more like a weird interview documentary it's like weird you can find it on youtube i would actually just like google mingus documentary but it's yeah. so it's 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 around him being put out of if this. it involves mingus i would expect it to be a little bit weird it's super weird so it's it, it, it all takes place in his apartment that he's about to be put out of 
because he hasn't paid rent. And so it's like it, it's like his his child's running around. It's it's just a really weird documentary or or series or whatever interview. Um, but it, it's it's fascinating, too, because he talks about music. He talks about blackness. He talks about the importance of blackness in music. He talks about the importance of blackness in in the world. Um, it, it's it's beautiful. It's beautiful stuff. Uh, he talks about his gun. Um, uh, his, he has a gun fascination, weapon fascination. And he talks about that, you know. Um, so yeah, it's a re- it's a really interesting uh, little. I, again, I don't know what to call it, documentary or interview, but it's really interesting. You should go check it out. Again, I, I would just Google Mingus um, Mingus documentary or Mingus interview or something, and it, it, you'll you'll find it. It's at the, it should definitely be at the top. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, all bangers, bro. I, don't, I feel like I don't even need to show you my little one raggedy, my one raggedy little record over here. You got some, you had, you had some heat for us today. Jeez. Jeez. That Billy Harper. It, 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 I know. Yeah. I, when I saw that Billy Harper, I was like, oh, I, I know. I know. That's a banger right like there. This one. That's yeah, a banger. I got one and we've been talking about them all episodes. So it's like, oh, you know, working, goodness. working, man, working, working, working with Miles Davis, working with the Miles Davis mm-hmm. quintet. You can't get no better. So this record, um, I, I, I don't want to get all sentimental, but uh, it's it never entered my mind for me. has a weird it, it has a weird sentimental place in my heart where it helped me kind of end something you know what i mean like mm. and and it, it it's a weird bittersweet it has that weird bittersweet feel to it uh if you if you ever check it out um yeah yeah, yeah. It, it never entered my mind um just a beautiful song a beautiful record though i played the entire thing through sweet stuff uh, this is Miles and John Coltrane together as a tandem duo, not, you know, not apart from each other, not battling each other. Um, this is also Red Garland and Philly Joe Jones and Paul Chambers on this. Yeah. Classic stuff. You know, um, this is this is a very random aside because we've been kind of talking about this with the documentaries and the biographies. Mm-hmm. And we've kind of we've talked a little bit about just kind of the nature of art and artistry. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the things that kind of just popped in my head is if you really think about it, some of the best music that we listen to or the artists that we gravitate towards, they seem to have to they seem to be able to do this magic trick of creating music that's like happy and sad at the same time. Yeah. That yeah. is like bittersweet but like hopeful, like there's like multiple flavors, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm, in the mm-hmm. same, like, like they never create music that's like just like happy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? It's, they yeah. never create music that's like just sad. Yeah, like, like, and I think 
going back to my whole frustration with this blue note doc is that <laughs> you know the 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 best part of blue notes artistry in their music for me was the 60s hard bop phase mm -hmm. because that was that was music that was that was very black yeah and that was music yeah. that did not hold its blackness but it was music that was incredibly intelligent high artistry it Varied was music emotion. that was it was music that was happy and bouncy yeah. and uplifting yeah. but it was also music at the same time that was sad and had very dark deep serious emotions into it yeah and yeah. like that that's that would be just one song yeah right that would everything that i just described would be one artist on one of their sessions yeah. and you would get all of that stuff so I, I you know it just it makes me so frustrated with this doc <laughs> that they didn't capture any of that authentic complex beauty and sadness that's that sucks whatsoever that sucks um okay, i'm done no I'm no done. that's fine man <laughs> I, I i would i would let you go on another hour about this honestly because I, I mean it's it's important that i mean you you have to just like you said about the music you have to convey the the varied experiences and if yes. and in a documentary again uh, i will keep saying this till the cows come home but and i in a documentary where you are an established, a renowned, uh, the quintessential in a lot of people's viewpoints, jazz record label, and you just harp on things that could have been or should have been or whatever, just doesn't it doesn't make sense to me. You could have you could those resources could have been used to to literally make bigger names out of yeah. all of the yes. guys because you had heavyweights i mean of course yes if you're looking inside the genre all of the guys who played a blue note on blue note were heavyweights in the genre of yes. jazz now did all of them have crossover ability no but do did they need crossover ability in the, in the day mm -hmm. and age where jazz was at its height which was mm -hmm. when blue note was at its height they didn't need oh, yeah. it you know what I mean? No, so yeah, yeah. it's weird. It's mm -hmm. weird to harp on that. So I I, I agree. I, I totally understand your uh, your sentiments, and uh, and don't worry. I'm not I'm not judging you at all, bro. <laughs> but yeah, man, this has been a great episode, Ryan. I'm I'm really happy that you were able to find the time. Um, sorry, our schedules didn't sync earlier, um, but uh, I'm really happy you were able to find the time to talk. Oh, me too. Um, yeah, man. I feel like we covered a lot. Uh, I still want to hear if there's any documentary or any artist out there we didn't cover or we didn't talk about um, in this episode that, you know, we, we should talk about or we should look into um, as far as documentary or biography or autobiography, whatever. I, I would like to know. You know, and I almost feel guilty because as soon as you said Nina Simone, yeah we didn't this. we didn't talk about her a lot yeah yeah we could definitely dedicate some um not only just like time to her but just kind of the historical civil rights movement yeah yeah and just that whole um because that connection with jazz with blues with black music in general mm -hmm. um I, I really do feel that's the, some of the most um uh some of the best uh epitomes yeah. of art yeah and of black of black art no yeah yeah um yeah I mean, was no really during that. was really during that whole and yep. i guess you know one of the things that i loved about the nina simone doc is that 
for for a layman like me mm -hmm. it 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 did a it did a great job bringing me into the fold mm -hmm. really starting mm -hmm. to understand the impact of the civil rights movement and how artists within played that huge parts framework yeah yes. played huge parts and it, and it was like a weird vicious circle where the 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 moment was feeding the music and the art and the art was feeding the movement in the moment it yes was, it's it's one yes. of the, it's yeah that's why i mean the the show is based around the 60s 70s era and it's based around mm -hmm. it for many different issues many different reasons um, the, the reason you just mentioned is, is a very obvious reason for, for a lot of folks like that moment creates so much. I mean, you can, you can think about large hits like James Brown's I'm black and I'm proud. You can think about, mm -hmm. you know, uh, you could think about the, um, Curtis Mayfield group. I don't know why his group is escaping me right now. Um, you can think about Curtis Mayfield's uh, moving on up or, you know, or keep on pushing, uh, but not moving on up. That's more 70s. That's more later, actually. But um, but you can think about these these some of these big songs that like go on to kind of be the soundtrack of the soundtrack of the movement. Um, and that it, it. Yo, that's mute. That's the power of music. Um, my my beauty comes at that black power point, right? That late sixties, early seventies, when there's mm. this there's this push for for self empowerment that comes in the form of many different ways, and music, of course, takes the shape um, of this of this particular moment, and it creates its own stuff. You you see the 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 expansion of independent jazz labels, black owned jazz labels that that start mm. to pop up. Um, you start to see uh, musicians start to take more ownership of their art in a real meaningful way. And you saw this and what was reflected in that time was that that black power moment. We were coming out of the civil rights movement and saying, OK, cool, we we understand that we are now considered equal to these people. However, there are still issues that are going on in our world that need that need to be addressed and, and the bills aren't being paid you know what i mean and mm -hmm. so that part had to be addressed how do how are we going to pay our bills how are we going to yeah. how are we going to make our own our own legacy in this how are we going to own our own thing like create our own thing and own our own thing and that's where you see mm -hmm. that that it takes off it takes off right there and i mean that's what i'm all about those two places are so critical to music history mm -hmm. not just black music not just american music to music mm -hmm. history those two those two space spaces and so i'm glad you touched on that before we headed out here but um as always For guys sure. you can check out the record spinner podcast at the record um and we will be back uh whenever we're back um ryan oh, yeah. i have some real real big treats we have some i, I gotta talk to you about one actually um but yeah, we have some sure. real big treats coming down down the pike here so stay tuned um please reach out to me via email at the record spinner podcast at gmail.com uh, you can re reach out to ryan there too or you can reach out to ryan at his email which is ryan at gmail.com sweet all right guys um take it easy don't forget to send me your favorite standards i'm still waiting for those uh i'll oh, catch yeah. you guys on the next episode peace peace